This is Consider Anew, the weekly micro-podcast that invites you to discover something new or see a familiar thing in a new way. This season, I'll be joined by co-host Dr. Jane Shore, the brilliant head of research and innovation at School of Thought. Michael, thank you for sharing this amazing platform with us. School of Thought is on a mission to amplify innovative work, build resources, and connect innovators and innovation and education. We do this through the School of Thought blog, gatherings, and now this podcast. On each episode this season, we'll speak with guests from all over the world, explore thought-provoking topics, and share ideas you can take and make usable in your world. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Crawford. And I'm this season's co-host, Dr. Jane Shore. Welcome. Jane Shore is here. Hello, Michael Crawford. <laughs> What's happening? What's What's the day bringing you? Happy Happy Monday. Uh, I yeah. you know it's uh, moving and grooving. Uh, I don't the you know the weather as I as I need to keep you updated on. Uh, <laughs> it's got, it got cold for a minute right. and now it got warmer. All right. But, you know as weather does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, otherwise you know things are going well. Started. Um, new work last month at Western Governors University, which I'm really excited about. And uh, so that's off, up and up and running. And, uh, and I'm here. And it's always, okay. it's always great to chat. Hi. Yeah. What do you got going? I'm glad that you're here. Yeah, you know, I, I, there were a lot of things that happened, lots of um, stuff that happens in life over the weekend. And I arrived and I got to connect with young people this morning who just reminded me of the joy of just being and I feel like that's sort of something that came out for me in this particular episode of the podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to like who you are and why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that leads in. So we had Sunana Chan and Rosie Molina on, uh, and uh, Sunana works at an organization called Reinvention Lab, which is kind of TFA powered and Rosie's a student uh, and has done some work with, with reinvention as well. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the thing that jumped out right from the start, even from their intros for me, and then they, there was a couple other points where they referenced it, but this idea of identity, um, and, you know, on this podcast, we have had a lot of guests that have talked about humanizing or getting back to the, to the kind of human roots of, of learning or of relationships. And, and that was a, theme here as well but but identity in particular um jumped out at me uh Sunana talked about leading with identity you know as a as a school leader for example um leading with identity as opposed to just kind of practice and protocol um not only gives people a chance to get to know you as a leader better but also invites other folks to acknowledge or embrace or um kind of maybe even articulate their identity uh, in that kind of professional space. Um, and Rosie, you know, shared sort of a similar, a similar perspective around, you know, how we often focus on the professional and a little bit less on kind of who the person is. So that was something that really caught my ear this time. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. It was what stood out to me too, um, leading with identity and it connects with um, the theme that we have as a um, 
for our gatherings this month is, is really all about that. Um, how are we incorporating the many diverse perspectives and identities that come into our space in schools and how are we integrating? Um, I, I, I also look at some of the language. I appreciate Sunana Chan for so many reasons um, and I'm so happy to be introduced to Rosie today. Sunana is one of the best for me. She's somebody I watch for her public speaking, um, her ability to access profound ideas in super clear, beautiful lyrical ways. And um, even in this podcast that you're about to hear, she mm -hmm. uses language that I know I'm going to want to go back and listen to again and again. And um, it just rings. It, it there's sort of a musical quality. And I'm looking at the reinvention lab description as um, part of Teach for America that thinks about the future of learning. You know, she talks about accelerate, assemble, and amplify. Um, you know, leaders and learners toward working toward reinvention, very similar to the work that um, I think that, you know, we're part of the wave of, of at Revolution. She talks about in this, in this piece that I clipped, we hold up a mirror to ourselves and our systems, seeking out radically different perspectives and advocate fiercely for equitable innovation. And the idea of rooting that in identity, you hold up a mirror to yourself and your systems. It feels like that's the root, that's the language around the, the, you know, the work that we're all in. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited for folks to hear this conversation, both Sunana and Rosie are profound um, folks and um, gracious and brilliant. And uh, it, this was, I had a, a blast um, with this conversation. So and Michael Crawford, I've never heard you say you were speechless. I, 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 you know, I, I honestly don't know if I have ever said that before or like really, really yeah. felt it. Um, I mean, there were like, <laughs> there were so many yeah. <laughs> things to, to, to pull on that. I, it was, uh, I just was sort of stunned for a second. Um, and yeah, I did say that in this episode. So enjoy that. Good folks. Uh, you ready to jump in Jane? Yes. All right, let's do it. So here is Sunana Chan and Rosie Molina. Hello, everyone. Uh, Jane, how are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am doing well. We have uh, the great fortune of having two lovely folks joining us today. Um, and maybe we'll we'll just um, we'll just jump right in. So, uh, Rosie, uh, maybe we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself, uh, where you're from, what you're up to, and and what your connection to education is. Yeah, uh Molina, Hello, my name is Rosie Bajihoji Molina. My pronouns are she, her, hers. 
Um, I'm from the Seminole Muscogee and Choctaw Nations of Oklahoma. I sit with the Sweet Potatoes, that's my clan, and the Afalo Band. When I stomp dance, I shake shells, and my family is from the ceremonial ground, Tallahassee, Wakagai. We dance there. Um, so whenever I introduce myself, um, I like to introduce myself in my, in my language. Um, that's just something I was taught by my grandparents. Um, I'm from Denver, Colorado, but my family is from um, Oklahoma. Um, part of my family is. Um, I am currently in college, my first year. I just finished my first quarter at the University of Denver. Um, so that's one of my connections to education. Um, I went to traditional school through um, elementary through high school. And through there, that's where I um, just really found my connection to wanting to change the education system um, for indigenous youth, for all youth really. Um, so that's me. Thank you so much uh, for that. Um, great to meet you. Very glad you're here. I'm looking forward to learning more from you shortly. Uh, and you brought a guest, which is generous of you. Uh, Sunana, can you introduce yourself? Hey, y'all. Uh, I'm Sunana. I'm coming at you live from Oakland, California. One of the things of many that Rosie has taught me since I've known her for the past two years or so is to start with identity, lead from identity and be a leader who starts with identity. So I'll, I'll start similarly. Um, my ancestors are from the Indian subcontinent, what's now Indian, India and Pakistan, and from Slovakia. Um, and so I have these uh, very two, you know, two very different kind of parts of my identity and I identify as biracial and when I was growing up, you know, I, I was navigating these two parts of my identity constantly um, with my father who was an immigrant, um, my mother who was from America but whose father was an immigrant and it was a constant act of bridge building, of translating, of um, facilitating really between these very different cultures and identities and strong sense of ancestry on both sides, um, you know, that, that played itself out in tradition, in holiday celebration, in language, um, in so many ways. And so when I think about my purpose, I actually have it written on my wall right here, but I, I say building bridges between people and concepts from the status quo to the future of learning. And so no matter where I you know, find my, my organizational title or affiliation, that is what I do. Um, I build bridges, I'm a facilitator, I'm a network weaver, that is, that is where I find myself, that is the ancestral work that I do. Um, and because of the many experiences that I've had in education, in fact, a lot of ancestral ties as well to education, I find myself um, doing that work in service of a radically different future of learning. And so, um, so that's what I do. I, I've done that um, in places like Remake Learning in Pittsburgh, which is very much in my heart. And currently I work uh, at something called the Reinvention Lab, which is powered by Teach for America. And I'm very happy to be here and happy to be here with Rosie and all of you. So I just want to take a moment to honor that, that space that you just both created. Um, I really appreciate upfronting the, the conversation. I mean, we're in the midst of all kinds of conversations in schools and both of you are powerful voices in in our um, work to catalyze change the answers that you just provided or the introduction that you just provided kind of lead to um, this next question and um, 
I'm, I know that I'm going to, I already know that I want to re-listen to everything because all of this language and these words that you've shared are really beautiful and, and lyrical. Um, but I wondered if you could um, kind of take a moment to talk about, you know, how you arrived to where you are today, how you arrived to your voice, maybe your place in the conversation of change and education. And maybe Rosie, we could start with you. Sure. Um, there are so many different ways that I can start with, like how I arrived here. Um, I really think about my family. Um, I grew up, uh, my grandparents raised me, um, but in my culture, uh, we always say, you know, it takes a village. Um, so my mom um, has always been uh, kind of like my backbone. She's always been there to support me. Um, my grandparents were there for me. Um, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my um, everything. And I think like with my strong family, I've just always felt very secure. And when I got to school, I didn't. Um, and I, my family always taught me to be very proud of who I am, um, to always, you know, be able to show that part of me, to show my indigenous side, um, to show, you know, every part of me just kind of entering as my authentic self. And, um, as a young child, when I did that in school, it wasn't always celebrated and, and sometimes it was punished. Um, one year I came back from a ceremony. I have ceremonies in uh, July. Um, they're called green corn. And I got back to school and it was my first year um, participating in, in ceremony as a young adult. And so I had these uh, markings on my um, arms and, and legs and um, my teachers were very concerned. Um, and so I was told to go to the nurse and they were going to um, call my parents because they thought I was either self-harming or I was being abused or something of that sort. And every time I tell them, no, like this is a part of my culture, this is ceremony, um, they just didn't believe me. So I think it comes to like my teachers, um, adults at school, not believing what I was saying. Um, and that was just about my identity, but then it, it translated to um, seeing my peers and myself with uh, um, bullying or the way I wanted my learning to go or uh, what direction or what I needed help in and no one like listened. Um, and as I transitioned into middle school, I found myself in a um, charter. Um, and this charter was very, um, let's just say that they didn't uh, have any room to express your identity and there was um, uniforms it was, it was very it was a very uniform school not just with the way you dress but the way you learned as well um, and that if you recognize that you needed to learn a different way um, that was just unacceptable um, and so as I transitioned into that I began to get very vocal with the way I didn't the way I felt about my learning um, and not wanting it to go the way it was, and that was not learning. I wasn't learning anything. I didn't, wasn't seeing myself grow. As I transitioned into high school, I kind of just really got silent um, or silenced. Um, and I wanted an outlet to be able to tell 
adults what I wanted to do with my learning. And that was um, learning about myself in school. And that was not something that you do. You learn about other people in school. And those other people um, are, you know, Euro, 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 it was all Eurocentric. Um, I never learned about indigenous people. I never learned about um, the black community. I never learned about the Asian community. I never learned about um, any part of my own identity or part of my community in school. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my first outlet was student council. And usually when you talk about student councils and youth uh, focused groups, they talk about how this is a very tokenized group um, in many different schools and how they don't actually have any real power. And that is very true. Um, and throughout high school, administration was transferred in and out up until my junior year. Um, and with my principal, um, she's just so amazing. And I still have you know a relationship with her out of um, high school. Um, but she really like took the chance to just listen. Um, and at that same moment, I began a fellowship called Future 10X. And that was with um, Teach for America. Um, and Future 10X actually inspired the reinvention lab. And through Future 10X, um, I learned about myself, I learned about education, and I just learned about my purpose. And that was really the breaking, not the breaking point, but um, the start of the rise of, of my journey, um, of where I just like really realized that this is what I am passionate about, this is what needs to happen, um, where we are going now um, is not a good thing. Um, and it just really breaks our students. Um, and reflecting with my grandparents, they were both um, really involved with the American Indian movement. Um, and so I just always had that, like my, like activism is in my blood. It's in, it's in the stories that I was told. Um, it's in the indigenous culture. Um, so like Sanana was saying earlier, just about how um, through your culture, you just like learning is a part of culture. Um, and especially with mine. And so the, I guess that is that is like my um, pre-villain story, I guess I would say. Your hero's journey. Your hero's journey and turning it. Um, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, there's so many beautiful parts to that recognition of activism is, is sort of in your blood. I mean, how, how, how powerful is that? Um, thank you. And, and Sunana, um, might you also share, I mean, I, I um, you know, part of our goal in, in getting to um, uh, have this space with you is to really understand the stories that help us arrive to where we are. And, um, I wonder if there might be um, a way to connect Sunana, your, your story as well. Yeah, I mean, Rosie as, Rosie, as I was listening to your story, I was thinking about how when I was in school, when I was in high school, I went to a very traditional school and then very traditional college in many respects. And man, did I play the game like I just played the game. I did the business of school, you know, like I was a good test taker. I knew what basically what my teachers and professors then wanted of me. And I just kind of like regurgitated in a way that 
got me pretty far. Um, not because I was critically thinking for myself in any really major way, I would say, except for like maybe later, later in college, I would, I would maybe, I think I got to that point, but I think it was that I was just good at doing the business of school. And when I became a teacher, I got first and second grade and, you know, it was very, the way I was taught, and let's keep it real, the way I was taught by Teach for America was teach like a champion. I mean, it was like young people sitting in desks in rows, sitting up straight with their hands folded, you know, listening to a lesson. And I very quickly realized that I was in the minority, like me being able to do the business of school and do it well is actually like the, the smallest minority of young folks who like want to and can learn that way. And, and I even realized that I didn't want to learn that way, that that wasn't actually my innate, it, it was the way I was programmed, not the way that I innately learn. And when I was thinking about the young folks that were in my classroom, I was like, this ain't it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that what I was doing was not it. And it, for me, catalyzed a search. I mean, for, for something that could be different from what I was doing, from what I was taught, from what I had experienced my whole life in the education sector. And I mean, a long story very short, I think that search led me eventually to remake learning um, and to understand, not just to understand, but to see experience be a part of a community where interest-driven, passion-driven, like deeply love-filled, identity-filled, hands-on learning was happening throughout a community, you know, not just in schools, but in out-of-school organizations, you know, it throughout, throughout Pittsburgh, there was like this way in which I could embody a different way of being, <laughs> like a different way of learning. I could see what was possible before my own eyes. I could see the future like right now at a place like Assemble, right, in Pittsburgh. Um, and it just really changed, it like profoundly changed me because I think I always had this innate sense, although I couldn't articulate it, that I was someone who was a network weaver and a facilitator. And then I was able to see, oh, this conflict that was within me in terms of what I was taught to believe in terms of school, there is actually an alternative. And, and I didn't just hear about it, I experienced it and embodied what that alternative was. And that was a profound change for me. And I think that now taking those two pieces, right, of my identity and what I was probably born to do, and then this alternative that I was able to see, if you put those two things together, like that is what, that is what created me as a person and kind of my purpose in life. And so, um, so yeah, I, I would say that that's kind of my story of how I got to, to where I am right now. It's amazing. Um, hearing both of your origin stories uh, of sorts makes me want to <laughs> re, re uh, revisit and re-explore um, my own. Uh, so many things that both of you touched on um, have my mind spinning. Uh, so now I want would love to kind of stay with with you for a second. Um, you know, you shared how you got to this point. Um, you know, for folks who may not know, uh, you are a big part of the reinvention lab um, adjacent to or part of Teach for America. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
the work that you do there and and kind of what it aims to do um and then maybe share you know how how it's going some things that are going well some things that that may not have gone as well as you had hoped uh and then some learnings from the work that you've done at at reinvention lab that's a big question um i will <laughs> to do my best and I will also apologize for any city noises that you might hear um, in the background as I, as I talk to you. Um, so it, it, to keep it very simple, the Reinvention Lab is an exploratory space that's powered by Teach for America, so certainly part of Teach for America. Um, and our motto is inspired by Grace Lee Boggs. It's transform it, um, transforming ourselves to radically transform learning. And there are two parts of that, right? The radically transforming learning part is how do we really learn from those who've been out in front of the future of learning for a very long time, who are doing this work on the grassroots, who are proximate to, as I was talking about, about Remake Learning, living into the future right now and use the power, privilege, you know, resources of Teach for America to add value and accelerate their work um, and learn from the things that they're doing. Um, and so that's a big part of what the Reinvention Lab does. Um, the other part is transforming ourselves and transforming ourselves. It means a lot of things. I mean, it means transforming ourselves as individuals to think differently about learning um, and think differently about the organization. It also means um, piloting things that will transform the organization and how it thinks and operates um, both about learning, but just about organizational structure as well. And so um, along these lines, transforming ourselves, radically transforming learning, there are three things that the reinvention lab does. Um, the first is that it accelerates, and um, that's really the work that I lead. How do we, um, we actually have created a suite of accelerators inside the lab that helps people who are on the ground, either affiliated with Teach for America or not, to accelerate their work in the future of learning. Um, our goal is really to be of service and add value, and then to learn the lessons that we see in the field from the incredible folks that we have the great privilege of working alongside. The second is activate. So how do we, um, you know, be in community with Teach for America staff and alumni who um, are interested in what a radically different future looks like, but maybe haven't seen them seen it for themselves, right? Haven't had the privilege that I had of being at Remake Learning and being able to see all these incredible examples. Um, and really just trying to think about how do we um, how do we help folks along that journey towards really thinking radically differently about possibilities of what learning could be. And then we also do a fair bit of incubation. So um, we incubate things within Teach for America that have the potential to change the way that Teach for America operates and also obviously thinks about thinks about learning in the future. Um, and so that's kind of the the big the big picture thing um, to give you a really concrete example, for instance, on the activate strand. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons that I got engaged with Rosie is that we work very closely with Teach for America regions, one of them being Denver um, and Colorado, to help them create reinvention kind of ecosystems in their communities and Future 10X was um, a program of reinvention within um, Teach for America Denver and Rosie is absolutely right that that helped inspire the creation of the lab um, in general. Um, and then also in the Activate strand, we have something called the Reinventors, the Reinventor Fellows, which Rosie is also part of, um, in which we're trying to think about how do we in the lab co-create with young people as a, as a just way of practice as educational nonprofit leaders, but also how do we infuse that practice throughout Teach for America and make sure that there are more ways for 
adults within Teach for America to work with young people, um, no matter what they do. Um, if they work in education, how do we how do we co-create more with young folks instead of um, as educational profit leaders making decisions on behalf of young people and communities? And so um, those are two kind of small examples, but um, two things that we are we're working on right now. So cool. Yeah, I uh, I know it's a a newer ish uh, lab, but from the start it seems to be uh, the kind of tone, the the focus, the energy, the enthusiasm for co-creating with young people, with engaging in um, the kind of education transformation that I guess I can only speak for myself, uh, that I believe is necessary, um, that uh, when I first, you, you can feel free to correct me, but there was a Whatever the, there was like a first document that you all put out uh, that has I think like six six pillars in it, and I read through that document, and I it was one of those times where uh, it feels as though somebody has like taken the the chaos, <laughs> the like strands, the yarn that's like in a ball in my head, and just like laid it out perfectly, and not saying that you articulated everything perfectly. That was in my head that I thought of it first, but that like, I had these like little flickers of like, wouldn't it, what about this? And what about that? And then you all just like laid out this document that, you know, sort of speaks straight to so many of the things and more of, um, of the direction I think we're, we're heading. So, uh, I love it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, the learning horizons, um, publication. So we'll, we'll have that in the show notes for sure. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a big plus one to the work that you're doing over yeah. there. Um, what is, you know, watching from a distance, and I just hear it in the story that Rosie, you're telling. Um, Sunata, one of the things that I um, have um, followed in your own story, and I, I do fan you all the time, you know, like all the things that you're doing and the writing that you're doing and the, the humanizing, the approach to creating organizations that recognize, and I'm gonna quote Grace, uh, I'm, I feel like I need to grow, Quote, quote Grace Lee Boggs as well, because this idea of, I think it's critical connection over critical mass, that sense that, um, you know, you're connected to your identity, you're connected to your ancestors, you're connected to your own story, you're connected to where you come from. And that is what creates the, and catalyzes the change. As an organization in Reinvention Lab, I've watched also as you have change the structure organizationally so that youth have um, not just voice, but vote. And, you know, as a new school where I sit in Philadelphia, um, that is something that feels necessary to point out in the conversation. And it, and you're leading, you're, your magic is leading the way, you know, that light to the path. Um, and I, I'm getting to, I actually have a question to, um, one of the things that I find really interesting on these journeys, and it's a hero's journey or, a, you know, the ways in which you um, you come to where you are right now. Um, many times we've had to rethink something or we thought we knew and then it turned out to be this. And I'm thinking um, a little bit about, Sunana, what you said about um, playing the game, but then realizing there was another way to do it. Um, and that's what led you on the path. Are there anything, and this is to either one of you, 
are, is there anything that you thought you knew in the beginning of this journey about education, about teaching, about creating community, about engaging in schools, about activism even, that now after some time you're thinking about differently? Something that made you think again? The thing that came to mind when I read this question that Rosie and I were talking about this morning actually was I remember when we were going to start the first youth fellowship at the reinvention lab and actually before that i remember when i was at remake learning i was director of remake learning for for a few years and i remember people pushing me and saying why aren't there young people on the remake learning council which was basically the board of remake learning um why aren't there more young people who are hosting events why aren't there more young people who are xyz whatever i, I was always pushed on that and i said to people very clearly this is an educator network our primary audience is educators and we work with educators and that's like I can't I don't have the capacity to nor do I really have the mission to go beyond working with with other folks and including young people and then I asked the reinvention lab and we were going to start this youth fellowship really quickly in like six weeks and I remember saying to my boss Michelle I was like I don't think we should do this you know like I don't think we have the capacity I don't think we have the know-how I'm worried we're going to do harm if we do this so quickly um, and she really pushed back and said, if we want to be an organization that talks about education, we can't do it without co-creating with young folks. We just can't. And we started a youth fellowship and it has totally changed my professional life. I mean, I now can't, I will, I was wrong in saying that, oh, we're an educator network. We, we, we can't work with young people or we shouldn't. Um, I now have this such strong conviction, again, through working with young folks like Rosie, that I cannot responsibly do work in education, no matter where I sit, without working with young people who are the primary stakeholders in education and yet have so little decision-making power normally in what happens in schools, um, what happens in educational nonprofits, what happens in rooms where decisions are being made about education and it has just totally changed how i think about my work um and so that, that's the always the first thing that comes to mind it's a story that i often tell but rosie I'm, I'm curious if um something comes to mind for you of like a moment or a point where you change your mind um in this work yeah so first i just wanted to address like um what you were saying about having uh, youth in decision-making. I wanna talk about the um, uh, Iroquois Confederacy um, and that form of government um, before the arrival of Europeans. Um, children were involved in decision-making and in that society or this form of government everyone had some sort of uh, knowledge to give. Um, there was no, there wasn't um, anything based on uh, age or gender um, or social status or income. There was, there was no I, I, uh, uh, idea of that. Um, and it's interesting to think about how a lot of people think that in some cases, um, age equals knowledge. Um, and that the older you get, you're, you're, you're going to be smarter than this other person. And 
Um, an idea that kind of contradicts that is that in my culture, we tend to go to elders for advice and for wisdom because they have so much experience. Um, but what those elders will tell me is that um, when you see yourself so stuck in your ways, you look at your younger um, siblings or cousins or just the children in the neighborhood and their imaginations are so um, big. Like there's no way I can ever, you know, be like them like you have to go and you have to learn from them they have so many ideas um that people just don't like to acknowledge um and uh growing up with that you know idea and those teachings from uh my family and then going to school it was very contradicting um and a story I always tell is uh how when I was learning about um the history of my people and of uh um of the Americas or Turtle Island, I'll dress up, this land as Turtle Island, um, that um, it was all contradicting to the teachings that I was I was raised with. Um, and it got to the point where I was um, wondering if my family was lying to me. Um, and that was when I was a young child. And as I uh, went through older years in elementary school and got through middle school, I, I knew for sure that they weren't lying to me because I knew that my family would never lie. Um, but it was just hard to um, know if adults were, were um, being real with me or were listening to me or whatever, you know, be on my side if they, if they weren't related to me. Um, and I learned that once I, once I got to high school and once I started on my journey of uh, reinventing the education system, I learned that there are adults who will be on your side, um, but it comes from uh, co-learning. Um, you have to both unlearn things um, about adultism or about colonialism or the idea of um, uh, that age equals a knowledge. Um, so I guess that's what that's what I had to I had to, you have to unlearn you both have to unlearn together, and that's one thing that people don't understand about co-creation. That's amazing. Um, I I don't I haven't thought of um, the sort of the power of of co-learning in that way. Uh, I'm the uh, it's so, uh, I don't know, great is probably not the right word. I'm sure there's a more articulate word, but even just the language around adultism, Jane, you dropped it in the chat. Um, it's, it's a, it's a topic that I don't think most adults are familiar with, um, let alone, um, young folks who are engaged in systems that just prioritize adult voices simply because they're adults. Um, and, uh, so I, um, yeah, I'm like half sort of speechless here, which is problematic as the host. Uh, but thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to, I want to transition just a little bit, um, towards, uh, the end of the episode here, uh, before we jump into our lightning round, uh, which is very exciting. Uh. I would love for for each to hear from each of you actually. You know, there are going to be a a lot of educators in particular and folks in and um, administrations who 
uh, could be listening to this episode. And I was wondering if you could, both of you could share one or two kind of pieces of advice or usable nuggets, something that, you know, a teacher listening to this episode could take and kind of reflect upon and then turn around and, and bring something to their classroom in a new way. Um, so more succinctly, are there, is there a, you know, a piece of advice or a, a, a particular practice that you would suggest for um, educators who may be listening that could be usable? Um, and maybe Sunana, we'll, we'll start with you and then jump to Rosie. You know, as Rosie was talking, there are a lot of things that we do at the reinvention lab. Um, and I'm, I've been trying to kind of like drop nuggets of those things as I've been talking about it. But one of the things that Rosie made me think about was the enduring ideas award process, which, um, these are cash awards that the reinvention lab provides to folks doing radical work in education. And they are completely decided by community members and young folks. So the premise of the enduring ideas awards are that, those most affected by educational inequities have the most power to make decisions on behalf of education. And so that means that the decision makers are consistently 50% under the age of 20 and 85% people of color um, in and outside of Teach for America. And, you know, for me, you talked about kind of, a, you asked me, to, I didn't really answer the question about learning, Michael, um, a learning that I've had from this work one of the learnings I've had is I started the process of enduring ideas thinking about it as a different way to do grant making. Um, like there are ways in which philanthropy and education needs to change. And one of those ways is how do we change who is making those decisions? And that is what birthed the idea for, I mean, personal decision making has been around for a long time, but doing it for this enduring ideas process, that was kind of the their, their genesis. And as I've been doing it, I think we're in the fifth cycle of doing this now. And my focus has switched from thinking about it as grant making to thinking about it as any decision that is made in education. Like how many decisions do we as nonprofit leaders, as school leaders, as teachers, as adults in the education system have the privilege of making? So many, I mean, every single day that we probably don't even realize. And when I was listening to Rosie speak, um, I was thinking about how one of the tenets that we have for decision making that we constantly have to talk about with young people and with adults is that everyone who is making this decision brings expertise. Like no matter how long or short your traditional resume is, like throw that out the window. Every single one of you is bringing something incredibly important to this decision making table. And I think that is something that school leaders, nonprofit leaders, anyone listening to this podcast, anyone who makes any decision in education should be thinking about all the time. How many decisions do I make and how many are co-created? Um, how many have voices of a lot of different stakeholders at the table, including young people, but not only, right? Um, and how many of those decisions do I make completely on my own? Um, and I'm not saying every single decision needs to be completely seated to, to consensus, but many of them do. Um, and I. And I think that that audit of the decisions that we make as adult leaders in education is incredibly important. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind in answer to that question. 
Another thing that comes to mind is what we started this podcast with, which is something that I learned from Rosie, which is how do you as an educational leader lead with your identity instead of your resume? Um, like, what does that look like for you? And again, this is something that I've learned time and time again from Rosie, but it's like, I had to unlearn starting with this kind of um, sterile version of myself, which is, you know, well, I did this for two years and then I did this and then I was here and look at how, you know, look at how many things I have on my resume and how impressive I am. And I think what Rosie has taught me to do is think about how my ancestors brought me to this moment and where I am and what my purpose is outside of any place that I work, you know, um, and what that means. I think that's important for any educational leader to be aware of and to lead with and to show, especially if you're a school leader, again, going back to Rosie's experience about not feeling like her identity was valued in school. Like one way to show that identities are valued is by leading with your identity as a leader um, and saying, you know, this is where I come from. I'm inviting you to come from that place as well. Um, so I think those are two things I would say kind of coming off of this conversation. But Rosie, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, that makes me think about so much. I think one of the biggest problems is that um, we always relate on a professional level and never try to relate on a, uh, on a human level. Um, and it just made me think about uh, my uh, cousin from out of state was here this weekend. Um, and I really love pho. And uh, we took him to my favorite restaurant and it's on a um, federal in Arkansas. It's called Fun 95, um, one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, looking around um, and there were so many different identities in that room. Um, and just how the connection of food can bring people together. Um, and it made me just think about how uh, I've just, identity is, is just so like top of mind for me and I wanna get to know you on a personal level. I'm, I'm great, I'm glad that you have so much experience in, on a professional level, um, but it all comes down to like your heart, like what's in your heart, what's, what did you grow up with? Um, and so when I think about teachers and students, um, like relate to your students on a human level, take teaching out of your mind, relate to them on it, like look at them as your as your partner, as a friend, like look at them on that level and try to relate to them in that way. Um, that's my that's my biggest advice. Um, but also I, I don't have a perspective as a teacher. I guess my perspective from students is to um, not give up on us. Um, do not give up on the on the loud students. Do not give up on the quiet students. Um, keep asking them that question. Even if they don't respond the first two, three, four, five, ten times, keep asking them. Eventually, they will answer. They will open up. Um, yeah, um, I think that's like my biggest advice is just is just to try to relate. Um, my advice to students is to don't to not give up. If you want your teacher um, to co-create with you, if you want your principal to co-create with you, if you want your admin to co-create with you, keep going, keep pushing them, because um, it will happen. It took me four years, but I eventually got it done. Um, and there's some great stuff that is happening there. Um, so don't give up, students, young people. Don't. It'll get better. You'll get there. Rosie, <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for framing so much of what we need to do. And both of you, Sunana and Rosie, um, the, the reminder that I think is a thread in the conversation of change is this humanization, um, relating as humans. And um, 
it's at the root of any change that we see and seek. So um, appreciate appreciate you. Um, we are switching from those profound pieces of advice to our lightning round as we end here. And um, our lightning round are just, you know, one word, quick little answers um, as we leave. Um, and um, the first one actually, I was thinking, um, you know, what's fueling you in terms of like podcasts or, um, or things you're seeing or watching or voices you're hearing, who are some people you're following, um, who are the, um, who are the guides, um, what, what are the kinds of things that are no nourishing you right now? Um, and maybe Rosie, if we could start with you, if you have some recommend recommendations for the, the sorts of guides oh goodness guides i have i have so many um i i want to shout out um a podcast actually it's called all my relations podcast it's it's from an indigenous women um so i'd recommend go watching that uh i mean listening to that um what's on top of my mind right now sorry this isn't very inspirational but um olivia rodrigo just announced her tour dates so I'm so excited for that. Love her. Um, I'll, I'll end with that. Um, a podcast I want to shout out is um, Rosie actually reminded me that uh, some of the youth reinventors are dropping a podcast in January. And so um, I will be sure to let y'all know when that comes out, but keep an eye out for that podcast from Colby and Grace. Um, so that's something we definitely want to shout out. Rosie's a guest on one of those podcasts. If you want to hear more of Rosie's brilliance, who doesn't? Um, you can check out that episode. And um, I'm also going to shout out a video that was really um, inspiring me that was uh, made in partnership with the director of storytelling at the Lab Elizabeth Booz and Leah Lucine Carey, who's part of Teach for America Hawaii, which is one of the Reinvention Lab regions. Um, it's a video series called Rooted Reinvention. It's about um, some of the deep reinvention work that's happening throughout the Hawaii ecosystem. And, you know, it's really hard to visit schools right now. It continues to be as the pandemic continues to um, affect all of our lives in dramatic ways. And I watched this video and, you know, it just gave me that feeling where I was like, oh, like, you know, like I, I, it was an intimate portrait of a school doing radical reinvention. And going back to my story of actually being able to see, experience, embody what it means to reinvent. I watched this video and I got that feeling. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. And so when you ask that question of what's inspiring you, I immediately thought of, of this 10 minute video and just definitely would, would encourage folks to take a look. That's awesome. Yeah, and we'll, as I mentioned before, have that in the show notes. Thanks for dropping it there, Sunana. Um, last question in the lightning round, a little bit of a switcheroo from what's on the, from what's on the sheet. What, um, what you know we're still in a pandemic um there's still a lot of um stress and tumult in the education space what is one thing you're doing and this is for both of you what's one thing you're doing right now to um to take care of yourself um what kind of uh, self-care are you uh engaging in that um might be helpful for others to to absorb into their practice. And Sunana, we, we'll start with you and then jump to Rosie this time. 
So again, I'll drop a tidbit from work we're doing at the lab. One of the things that we're trying to think about is how to rest as a team. And so actually we, um, we are just finalizing and, and maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it will be actually published something called the case for rest, which is learnings that we've learned as a team about taking collective rest and what that means um, for our own self-care as a team. Um, so that immediately came to mind. And when we took two weeks of collective rest as a team, one thing that I started doing was daily journals, um, meditation, qigong, um, but also just taking more time off Zoom and walking like I did this morning with Rosie. Um, but it's really hard right now. And mostly I just, I think I need conversations like this to kind of rejuvenate me and help me think about, again, centering in, in my own humanity when um, on a video, it can be really hard to to do that um, and to see people literally as 3D full humans. Um, and so any ways in which in conversation and gathering, we can inject humanity, I think it helps me um, stay grounded and connected to who I am as a whole human being. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Rosie? Um, so for me, laugh is medicine. Um, and so I've been spending a lot of time with my family since I've been on break. Um, so spending time with my grandparents, my dog, my mom, my siblings. Um, and I think for like, um, to just like be alone, like by myself, that's another thing that kind of just helps me. Um, whether that's just like sitting in my room or, um, I like to watch, uh, a lot of movies or like comfortable movies that I like that just kind of like make me feel good. Um, just sitting outside on my on my um sitting outside and you know listening to the birds and the wind and everything like that um I live in the city so those quiet moments are um are very nice um and those those really make me feel better about everything <laughs> love that nature yeah. some solitude uh yeah Sunan, I heard uh from your pal Mike Gates uh I think he had tweeted at the time something about the two week sort of full disconnect, which is a fascinating idea. I know there are other organizations that are exploring that uh, and different people kind of trying to do that. Um, and I, I have not done that myself. Uh, I don't think ever. And so I would absolutely be open to, to trying to carve that into my own self-care routine. So thanks for sharing that. I love it. And I also love the suggestions that you're making that feel so simple, but are so profound sitting outside and also conversations like this. I appreciate the, the sort of like getting back to our connections and thinking about who we are and what our purpose is and how we're doing that and how we're clearing ourselves. Um, you know, as we come upon many people will be having some time off at the end of the year. Um, and the, the use of that time to check in with ourselves. Um, the, the storyteller this, this evening, well, this evening on the East Coast, I hope you both can join because I feel like if it's possible, um, I feel like you're, you're connected souls. Um, but she reminds me all the time, we check in with each other, but how much do we check in with ourselves? And um, it feels like an important message. Um, as we leave, I wonder, speaking of checking in, are there um, 
ways that people can check in with you? How can people find you that are listening to the podcast or things that you're doing? Yeah, so right now, as Sina uh, said earlier, is I'm working with uh, the reinvention, the reinventors team. Um, and I'm working with uh, a total of eight people. Um, I believe seven youth, including myself, and then Malaron, who is, um, I guess, our, I don't know what to call her, our our adult. That's kind of funny to say, but um, <laughs> um, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I have a website, um, Indigenous Creations uh, Co. I'll send y'all the link. Um, but that is my uh, t-shirt brand. I, I sell my artwork and things like that. Um, we also have an Instagram, so you can find me there, um, which is Indigenous Creations Co. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. And all again, just to reiterate, all of this will be in the show notes, all of these links and, and anything referenced or mentioned uh, so folks can reach out and say hello and connect. So Nana, where are you at? Hopefully by the time this podcast drops, again, um, our website, reinventionlabs.org, will be live. Uh, and so check us out at reinventionlabs.org. Rosie's artwork is featured prominently throughout the site. Um, Rosie is an incredible artist among every, all of the brilliance y'all heard, um, you know, and, and right at the end sneaks in like, oh, and also I'm an artist. Uh, really an incredible, incredible artistic mind. Um, and so I hope you do check out Rosie's site and also the reinvention lab site, which um, features a lot of Rosie's artwork, in addition to a lot of other illustrators and creatives who we have the privilege of working with um, at the reinvention lab. Uh, so yeah, reinventionlab.org and on Twitter at reinvention lab. Perfect. Well, uh, on behalf of myself, I should say, uh, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your stories and your wisdom and your insights. Uh, I had a strong feeling that this conversation uh, was going to go well. I, I didn't know exactly how well or in what direction. And I was pleasantly surprised um, by, um, by what, what you shared uh, and how it got me thinking for sure. So thank you both so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for thank your you. presence. Thank you for sharing and honoring our space with your presence and for your words and for what you're doing. Um, we really appreciate you and I feel really nourished. I thank you for um, sharing, just being present with us. That wraps this episode of Consider Anew. Check out the show notes for links and other details. If you liked what you heard and you're willing to help the podcast out, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if there's someone in your world who you think might appreciate this episode, do them a favor and send it their way. Thanks to Michael Lipset of Pastel Stories. And thanks, Jane, for joining me. Thanks, Michael, for having me and for collaborating with School of Thought. And thanks to you, listener, for tuning in. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So say hello on Twitter. I'm at ShoreJaneShore. And check out our blog, School of Thought. .substack.com, where we make big ideas usable. I'm at MJCraw on Twitter, and I'd love to connect at MJCraw.com. And until next time, consider anew. new.